Welcome back to Table Talk, the show about challenging your faith and answering the hard questions in Christianity. I'm Clay, your host, and I can't wait to see what God has in store. All right, listeners, welcome back to Table Talk with Clay. Uh, on this week's episode, we've got a new guest, Mr. Alex Dyke. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Clay. And uh, Alex, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your faith background. Okay, so I grew up going to the church. My family always, we always went to the church. You know, it's probably my earliest memories. And um, I guess the main denomination I grew up going to was the Missionary Church. It's a bit of a smaller denomination, but it puts a strong emphasis on... Um, carrying out God's mission of spreading the word and getting people to the faith. That's really cool. Uh, what what denomination did you say that was? Missionary Church. Awesome. Yep. Um, and, and Alex, you can tell the audience a little bit as well about how we've kind of gotten to know each other. Um, go for it. Yeah, um, actually, you and I met through uh, Sigma Theta Epsilon, which is a Christian fraternity here on campus. If I remember correctly, you and I were in the same pledge class. We were. That is true, yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's... I guess that's how we really began. That's how we really met and mm-hmm. got to know each other after that. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been able to kind of see your faith walk develop over time, and it's been really awesome to get to know you a little bit more and to really understand that. Um, but so I'll let you do the honors. Introduce us to our topic for tonight. So tonight we'll be talking about um, mainly Christianity in contemporary America. Contemporary America. That's right. Um, for listeners who, who have been listening since uh, episode one, you'll recognize that this theme is along the same vein as episode one, um, where we talked about Christian persecution. But in this one, we're doing a deep dive into what uh, Christianity in America is, where it's come from, where it's going, and, and why it's going in the direction that it's going. So let's kick it off. All right, so starting off with early American history and Christianity. So, um, Alex, feel free to, to, to say whatever you would like, but American Christianity, uh, at least from my research, was founded on the persecuted Protestant church, right? We, we have this development over time of the Catholic church. The Catholic church turns corrupt, and that corruption leads to people fleeing and trying to escape the persecution that the Catholic Church has brought. Um, And and that leads us to different groups like the Puritans, uh, the Quakers, and eventually those develop in the New World into the Baptists. But I did want to go in depth a little bit on some of those those particular denominations. So just starting it off with the Puritans. Um, You know, the Puritans were a people group. They refused to conform to the Anglican Church in England. Um, and nearly 20,000 of them were in America by 1630. So uh, a big thing that they believed in was the conversion experience uh, had to be proved to the other members of the church. Uh, in today's standards, I think Puritans are maybe 5% of the population of total Christians. But um, uh, Quakers as well. So uh, we, we see those on the oat boxes. But, uh, yep. you know... Quakers were actually heavily persecuted in England, um, even uh, especially, I should say, by the Anglicans. Uh, Their beliefs were seen as extreme because they believed in focusing on hearing God's leading 
as well as having a close relationship with the Holy Spirit, which I think is is kind of interesting as a as a more Pentecostal leaning believer. I think that that's crazy to to kind of see how a relationship with the Holy Spirit back then was also seen as extreme. Um, and then moving into Baptists, so you know the Baptists openly welcome um, slaves to come to their services. They they were totally against slavery, and they also believed in adult baptism, which if you know uh, much about the time, uh, a lot of early churches did infant baptisms and uh, not, not so much adult baptism, so it was also extreme for their time. And the Baptists were also incredibly strict about just keeping their members accountable. But just in general, I think overall it's important to note that the early church spoke out against slavery, as well as, you know, maltreatment of native people. Um, and, and this continued through history. But, uh, you know, moving, moving on from there, let's, let's start by talking about where the church is at today. So, Alex, kick us off. What are your thoughts on modern American church today? Well, I was doing some research for the past couple of days, looking into this and seeing how the church has grown and how it kind of waxes and wanes over time. And it is kind of interesting in how it kind of waxes and wanes, but one of the big things that I found is that millennials are some of the most, like, um, how millennials seem to be the least Christian of all uh, of the latest generations. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly too sure the reason to that, but um, one thing I do know is that we are in a bit of a postmodern age. Mm-hmm. And, um, why have here for postmodernism is that it's a movement characterized by broad skepticism, subjectivism, or relativism, a general suspicion of reason, and acute sensitivity to the role of ideology in asserting and maintaining political and economic power. So, um, with um, America's Christian founding, there is a strong association between Christianity and politics, even with one of, um, like, We've had presidents before talk about Christianity and all that. And, um, so, um, I guess one of the big things that, um, we kind of see, um, I was looking through things and came across a quote from Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, what he had said was that, um, well, he's commonly associated with a quote with, um, that God is dead. And I looked further into it and it said that. He said that the idea of God deciding what is good or bad from outside the system ultimately limits the questions we can ask, and therefore is the worst imposition of power. So believing that, um, believing the idea of God and believing the truth of God in the eyes of Nietzsche was very restrictive about questions we could ask, and I guess he was trying to focus on finding our own truth, a human truth that um, may not be exactly correct in the God's eyes of God. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes along with what you were saying about millennials um, and, and other generations these days. You know, we, we look at the American church and we wonder why it's been shrinking for years. And as you mentioned, Alex, you, you don't know the answer to why that is. And I want to bring forth my response to that and, and say that I don't think there is one answer that just fully explains why the church has been been minimizing over the past, you know, how many ever decades. I don't think that there's one answer to explain exactly why, um, but I do think that there's a number of different 
different things that contribute to the church shrinking both internally and externally. And kind of the focus of tonight's show is to examine both internal and external um, things in the church that that could explain why the church is shrinking. I'm not, I don't want to portray to the audience that we're scientists and that we've, you know, conducted all of these studies and we have proof that this is exactly what's shrinking the church. But I, I think a lot of these points are worth talking about. And I think they're also a bit convicting if we're really honest with ourselves. So taking an internal look um, at, at what could be causing the church to shrink, I think we should start with confusion, right? What is the church's goal? So even, even if we see amazing leaders in the church that God has allowed to be placed there, but we lack a unification of goals, how can we possibly expect to make progress? I, I think a good example of this, you know, um, we look at, and for those listeners who don't know what, what STI or Sigma Theta Epsilon is, it's a Christian fraternity that Alex mentioned earlier. But, but I look back at where we were um, when, when we started as, as freshmen in the fraternity, and I see an ununified group of men who really desired to have a lot of different things. But what we lacked was a unification of the goals that we wanted. Right, so yes, the president wanted to grow the numbers, and maybe the pledge master did too, but the service chair, you know, he wanted to have more service projects. The social chair wanted to include service. The chaplain was all about, we need to pray more, we need to read more, we need to become more mature in our faith, and all of these different directions are, are pulling people in a million different ways when really we have to keep our focus on Christ. Like that, that has to be, at the end of the day, what all of us are unified and, and called to do. So, what do, you, what do you think about that? I think that's important, because, I mean, you know we have the different denominations of the church. Right. And at the end of the day, all these different dom- denominations all want the same thing, and that's to worship God, worship Jesus, and save our souls to heaven. And, um... I think we often forget that. I think Steve is a good example of mm-hmm. what we might need to do. Because um, within Steve, we obviously have different brothers from different nom- denominations. Yet here we are all together in the same fraternity and saying the same Bible. And I think having those different denominations is good for different interpretations and viewing it in different ways. Right. But at the same time, we're still working together to get that same end goal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think you bring up a good point, right? Denominations are not a bad thing. And I don't want listeners to think that you should not have a denomination, that you should just be non-denominational. That, that is not at all what I'm saying, because I think that, you know, attaching yourself to a denomination is not only important for um, you, you as a believer. I think it's also important for the church as a whole. And we'll talk about that in a separate episode. But yeah, I I don't think that that should get in the way of us as brothers and sisters in Christ working towards the goal of reaching people for him. So absolutely. Um, Anything else you want to mention on confusion before we go to the next one? I think you got pretty good. (laughs) Oh, thank you. All right, moving on to our next point uh, of internal things that may be causing the church to shrink relevance. So, with relevance, I, I want to ask the question, and I want to ask the question to you directly, Alex. Are we reaching 
the congregation where we are at. What do you think about that? How do you mean? Uh, so, as a as a leader of the church, are we as church leaders reaching people where they need to be reached? So, um, I'll quote a book in a moment, but have we lost sight of what people need to connect to the church in your eyes? I mean, it's just, I guess it's kind of up to interpretation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what we need to do is we need to find a new way to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live, um, as culture changes, mm-hmm. we have to obviously not live as part of the culture, but still maybe adapt how we interact with people in culture. And how, how do we tell these people these different things? And um, I mean, I'm an English major, so one of the things we study a lot is rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And rhetoric changes as people change. And being and rhetoric is not always a bad thing. It's not politically charged. It's just how we communicate with the, with each other and um, what, ways, what ways we do that. So perhaps as a church, we need to re- examine the ways we reach out to people. Right. And, and I think on an internal kind of basis, Jeremy Ryan puts it really well in his book titled Church Elders. Uh, in chapter two, this, this entire chapter is called Smell Like Sheep, right? And, and this entire book is focused around developing people to, to be elders in the church. And, and what it's saying is that leaders are called to still smell like sheep. Right when, when God puts someone in charge of a congregation, when God gives someone responsibility in his church, he, he allows them to experience the duties of a shepherd, right? He, he gives them a staff and he says, you, you have to go and you have to lead my flock. But the catch there is that while God is trusting people to lead his flock, they're still sheep. Right. Even the leaders of the church are still sheep and God is still our shepherd. So I think it's important that we don't lose sight of what people in our congregation need to hear. Right. We can't always talk about how amazing God's love is. We can't always have a feel good message. Sometimes we have to talk about the hard topics that nobody really wants to talk about because they're uncomfortable. Right. Sometimes we have to bring up homosexuality Mm -hmm. and we have to have that discussion in the church. Sometimes we have to talk about difficult theological topics like predestination, like free will. We have to make sure that people understand why we believe what we believe. And, you know, there's, there's different denominations for different people, right? You know, whether it's women in ministry um, and that's something that you're passionate about or that you don't agree with, uh, whether it's infant baptism, there's a million different reasons why we have certain denominations but I think that as leaders, we need to make sure that what we're saying is biblically based and impactful for our congregation. Does the church love the church? Right? As, as leaders and as we focus in the church, are we making sure that we love the church that God has given us? So, Absolutely. Yeah. So moving on to, to our next point, we're going to talk about selfishness as as an internal struggle that the church deals with so alex what's your take on on the church's selfish okay so um there are several ways i was looking at this and i found this really good article it was from theconversation.com and um it was kind 
interesting how it took how it has different takes and how people may view the Bible today and how we should view the Bible. So I'm first going to go through and um, I guess the first question we have to ask ourselves. I, I, I well, isn't I guess that the big thing is that more people these days ask themselves, what does the this what does this Bible passage mean to me, instead of asking what does this what does this Bible passage mean, right? And people, especially today, people have a very strong eye focus, mm-hmm. and sometimes they put that they put themselves before what before the Bible, and that may cause a lot of confusion. So people might ask themselves, or might say to themselves that it doesn't matter matter if the Bible is reliable and trustworthy, because um, people they could just take the bits, the important things, from themselves, and what they like for them, and skip over the parts they don't like. Um, and people say that the Bible is not the primary source of truth about God, because they read they read it selectively. Um, and just kind of, um, they put I before God. In reality, what we need to do is, um, we need to shift our focus back. Um, we need to shift our focus in the Bible to, um, see that it is trustworthy. It is the truth, the only truth. And, um, that God's word is the primary tr- truth about God. And what he has here for us is good. Right. I, I think you bring up a great point. I think the church internally has decided that a lot of controversial topics, instead of having the discussions and being honest with people about them, have decided to instead say, this isn't worth fighting over, this isn't worth standing up for. And, and as we'll see in a second, I think that that is a stumbling block that we have decided to accept as the church. I, I think when we talk about selfishness in the church, we need to ask ourselves, is our church about our church or is our church about the church right is my church about the people that are in this building about the congregation that meets every sunday in this church in this denomination in this congregation or is church about the church about impacting people globally if we if we look at matthew 28 right i'm i'm sure you've heard this a lot of listeners will have as well. Matthew 28:16 through 20. It's the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, here we go with the red letters, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. And, and right there we just see the, the plain and simple text, all nations. It's not just all nations, it's all nations and you have to go. Yes, you have to serve your church. And yes, your calling might be to serve your church and your community. That might be your go. But we have to take an honest look at ourselves and say, how are we doing? Are we reaching the church around us? Are we so isolated and, and selfish in our ways that we, uh, we, we just get stuck 
in a rut of serving each other. And Alex, I think you probably have some really valuable input since you go to a missionary church. Can, can you expand on what that means to you a little bit? I mean, I guess one of the, um, that's one of my main principles in the missionary church is the Great, um, Great Commission. That's our big focus point. My, my, um, my church back in my hometown actually has the great the text of the Great Commission on the wall behind the pastor because we have that much of emphasis on it. And um, I think that there are countless ways we can reach out to people, service being one of them. And there's a, you can do it countless ways with service. May just be um, raking somebody's leaves. Or um, as Steve knows, pray well, we do that every once in a while. And um, Yes, we do. Oh, just like helping out somebody with um providing them a dinner if they're having a rough time or um helping 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 them out with service projects and like home projects and all that and finding ways to use all those different things to not only reach out to these people but to also show the love of god through our actions right yeah that's awesome um and, and then our last point as far as internal things that i think have decreased the church uh, is is being afraid, right? And this kind of ties in with where we were leaning with being selfish. What has the church allowed in that it shouldn't be allowing in? Uh, another pulling again from church elders, uh, Jeremy Ryan talks a little bit about allowing wolves into the flock, right? A wolf in sheep's clothing. We allow, you know, different things to come into the church and we say, well, that's not worth sticking up for, so you can come into the church. And I'm not saying, I'm not talking about people. That I yeah. don't want that to be a misconception. I'm talking about ideas that people bring, right? So whether it's something that goes completely against what the Bible says, whether it's an interpretation that doesn't make sense, whether it's a false teaching, we've decided to open the doors of the church and say, you know what? Anyone is welcome. Any belief is welcome. We we are fine with this. And what happens is we allow wolves to come into our flock and they rip us apart, right? Yeah. And, and people today, as you were mentioning earlier in the episode, Alex, are afraid to take a stand. And instead of saying we stand for what the scripture says, we stand for this view on this topic, we're willing to, to give it up to human interpretation. We're willing to say, society, take the reins on this one, and we'll just kind of follow through wherever wherever you guys want us to go. And I think that we're doing the church a disservice by doing that, and we're doing the gospel of Jesus Christ a disservice by doing that. Yep. And to kind of go off of that, one thing I've heard before is the concept of the potato chip church service. So it's like um, it's kind of a feel-good service. It's like eating a big old bag of potato chips. Yeah, it makes you feel good, but it doesn't fill you up, and it just kind of make, makes you feel a little gunky afterwards. Right. Like, no. It felt good in the moment, but what's it going to do to you? No, I, I so, think yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Um, I actually haven't heard that before, so I'm gonna have to borrow that and give you some credit on that one, Alex. That was amazing. But uh. In John 15, uh, verses 2 through 6, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And so I think John 15 here, yes, it talks a lot about, you know, how we have to be dependent on Jesus in order to bear fruit. And I think that that's overwhelmingly kind of where people take that passage. But we also have to look at the beginning where it talks about how every branch of fruit, he t- or every branch, excuse me, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Right? God doesn't say, all right, well, you're a toxic branch, so I'm just going to leave you on the tree. He doesn't say that. He says, I take it off. And even if you're doing great, I still prune you so that I can make you better. So if we're not willing to trim the fat of the church, if we're not willing to say, hey, let's look at our doctrine. What do we stand for and why do we stand for it? And we're never willing to question, you know, where our church is grounded and why we're grounded there. I think we cheat ourselves. And like you said, we end up just having this American, you know, potato chip service. Yep. Right? Where, where everything is about, hey, we want you to come back next week. We want you to feel good. We want you to, to, to be encouraged every single week you come here. And I don't think, you know, there's obviously I think every time I go into church I'm encouraged because of worship, because of prayer. But how many times do I go into church and I'm actually challenged? Yep, that's the big thing because I know that um, if I'm getting challenged in church, I actually I love it when they um, when the pastor does that, and it's kind of like skipping over the potato chips and going straight for the steak and potatoes, and it makes a huge difference. And if I'm being challenged, I love it. I feel I I leave church feeling great, just knowing that I actually have something strong here, something I can actually work with. And I also think that what you're saying, you know. Yeah, you, you feel great, you feel awesome, but I also think you leave with a certain level of motivation. Like when a pastor or, or a preacher or a speaker is able to say something that, that challenges you, I, I think it makes you that much more willing to go out and actually try and, and to change the way that you're doing things. If all I ever do is, is come to you and tell you that you're doing a great job and that Jesus loves you and that I love you and that there's nothing that... Um, you could do to be better as a as a Christ follower. You're never going to grow, right? Mm-hmm. We we talked about this a little bit with persecution last week about how, you know, picking up your cross daily is a process. It's a willful act that you have to do every single day. But the reward at the end of the day is so worth it. Absolutely. Just just like it's worth it to to be pruned by God to to also prune the fat of the church so that. You know, as we go and talk about these external issues where we start talking about hypocrisy and we start talking about people living a life of sin while still claiming to be in the church, it's to help make sure that those things don't happen. It's, it's to take a stand so that we don't have to be afraid because God is with us every single step of the way. Yep. But, uh, Moving on to external problems. So, Alex, did you have anything on external issues facing um, the church? Nothing too much, especially in the United States. I mean, we have the First Amendment, which protects or stops the government from going after anybody, no matter what, the, no matter the religion or faith. But I mean, there are also societal pressures. I mean, being a Christian—that's being a Christian in a society that's um, 
more secular now, does have its pressures, and it often makes people question what do they actually believe, and is it worth the persecution that they may face? And um, I, something I tell myself often is that, um, but the Bible warned about this. People, uh, I'm pretty sure even Jesus said that going to be you are going to be persecuted for this, right? For your faith, and um, be ready for it. Right, and I think what you're talking about with secular secularism and its its growth in America. I mean, let's look at statistics on the growth of agnostic and atheism in America, right? As as Christianity and the belief that Jesus is our Lord and Savior has, has continued to go down over the years, the number of agnostic and atheist people has continued to grow. And, and it ties back into that idea of postmodernism, right? Mm-hmm. Where we emphasize in America, you have this freedom, you have this choice. We get so caught up in being comfortable. We get yep. so caught up in the luxuries of materialism that we don't want to be submitted to God. I mean, you know, if we went out on the streets right now or we went out on campus right now and we went around and we asked Christians, you know, or, or non-Christians, excuse me, but if we just ask students, you know, are you willing to do something that requires constant commitment, continuous pain, all of your time, servitude, and submission, I think most people would probably say no. Yep. I Overwhelmingly so. But that's the things that Christ calls us into if we want to serve him like he calls us to do. Right? It, we can't half commit to being a Christian. We have to follow Christ. We have to go through the pain and the time of the process. And we have to be in complete servitude to God and and in complete submission if we want to actually experience how incredible his love is. But, you know, when we have the freedom to choose, when we have all this luxury, when we're super entitled and, you know, we don't want that to be challenged or taken away, why on earth would people believe in a God if they don't have to? Exactly. I mean, I have to say, even I've been guilty of that, uh, guilty of it a little bit, and the fact that I sometimes just get too comfortable, and I know that causes a lot of problems for myself and those around me, mm-hmm. just because that um, it makes me lazy. I mean, I don't want I lose my motivation, and sometimes it just gets challenging. Just well, yet it gets challenging to gain over that, and getting back into the faith that's one thing i've been definitely focusing on more and more is challenging what i personally know and is it true right is it correct yeah and then fixing it if it's not correct yeah and and i think that that's an amazing thing that we have the opportunity to do in american christianity so i don't i don't want to portray american christianity as completely negative because we do have a lot of freedoms we do have the opportunities to express ourselves even though I think that's definitely be becoming more challenged uh, as as time continues, but we do have the opportunities to really dig into like theology. So right now I'm reading, um, oh what's it called? I totally am blanking. I will put that in the show notes. But um, I, I'm currently reading a theology book, and, and just how challenging like some of the ideas are in that. I, I can't even, like, this is a 1,300-page book, so I'm not going to spend time and explain all the things that yeah, have happened in yeah. that. Um, but but just being able to challenge our faith, and I think 
you know, the, the first time that my comfort was even actually challenged in my entire life, because I've had the opportunity to live a, a pretty privileged life. The first time that I ever even experienced discomfort was like the military, like shipping off to basic training, um, going and, and, you know, the, the process of being torn to pieces and being broken down so that you can be built back up. I think that's an amazing um, experience that really has shown me like you don't have to always be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. And God calls you into a lot of things that are not going to be comfortable. But similar to how the military has a process that breaks you down over time to build you up into a soldier, to, to create a, a soldier that is capable of, of protecting and serving. I think God does the exact same thing with people who, who are Christians, who are actually about the mission of Jesus. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And it's something I've seen with myself. I mean, that's something I'm going through right now with my own faith. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome to hear. Um, moving on to the next kind of external uh, factor that I think is impacting Christianity today are misconceptions. Right? I, I think, sadly, politics and religion have been linked as unable to be separate. Right? We, we oftentimes are automatically linked with a certain political candidate or a certain political party just because of the fact that we're Christians. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm. this is not a political show, and that's not what this is about, so we're, we're not going to go out and, and just talk politics here, but I think too often we start to polarize ourselves, both as a church and people outside of the church, by the word Christian, right? And when we do that, when we polarize ourselves and we say, well, this person doesn't agree with what I believe, so they clearly can't experience the love of God, we totally misunderstand what Jesus' message was all about, right? Love wasn't just made for white, uh, right-leaning people who love Jesus, right? In fact, if we look at the statistics, there's 2.8 billion Christians in the world, only 167 million of those actually live in America. Do you know how what percent of, of people that is, Alex? Very small. Less than five, just for the record. Less than 5% of the world's Christians live in America. And yet, I think it's fair to say that Americans as Christians like to think of ourselves as like, you know, we, we are Christians. We are the Christians. Right. And I think that a lot of people in America would also say that they, they completely miss the fact that there are literally billions of Christians across the planet and, and instead choose to polarize what we think and what we believe just based on, you know, their interpretations and misconceptions. Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, some of those misconceptions aren't grounded. I think that, you know, there are definitely some absolutes in our faith. And I think that it's important that people understand those. But when people stop seeing that what we do is in love um, because of bad experiences that they've had or because they don't understand who we are, I think that when you don't understand something, it leads to being afraid of it. And when you're afraid of something, I think it leads to you hating it. I think it leads to your fight or flight response. And I think that's a big reason as to why American Christians have gotten a really bad rap. What are your thoughts on that? I think I have to agree with that. I mean, it kind of goes along with the idea of misunderstanding. Hmm. 
And that's going back to politics. People see what they see in the news. And... I I mean, even... Like, news these, these days is very political. It's actually more of a challenge to find non-political news than it is to find political. And I think, like you said, like the association of Christians with a particular political party may deter a lot of people away. But, um... I think... I think one of the biggest challenges, I think, um, is to for churches and just for Christians in general to step away from politics, put it all aside, and for politicians to do the same. Like, uh, um, just like put uh, everyone put the politics aside and just focus on each other, talk to your neighbor, talk right. to your, um, I mean, just taking the small steps to get over that fear you had talked about and building those relationships will really help people out right and, and i do, again i don't want to say that to our audience that christians should not have a political view that is okay. not what i'm saying at all i i think you should have a political view i think you should be politically involved but i think when politics becomes your life and it replaces jesus's teachings and message in your life and you get so wrapped up and hey i'm on this side of the fence or i'm on this side of the fence and that's all that matters you completely lose your ability to sympathize and empathize with people and to reach them on their level you know jesus didn't spend time with just one group of people in fact he spent a lot of his time with the people that nobody else wanted to spend time with and i think that we both as a church and as, you know, talking America at large, need to start to do the same. Instead of polarizing and pushing out on either side of an issue, I think we need to start pushing in and, and trying to see what each other think. That doesn't mean that we have to agree. That's not what I'm saying. Nope. You, you don't. You don't. Like, I will never agree with someone who is pro-choice. I'll say it. I'm not. I never will. But you know what? At least I can try and understand why a single mother in a terrible situation feels the way that she does. At least I can empathize with her situation, even if I don't agree with it. If I don't agree with homosexuality, it doesn't mean that I hate everyone who claims that. It means that I want to understand more about why you feel that way. I want to understand more about the group of people uh, who, who identify with that. And, and I want to love you for who you are. Not because you know, necessarily me as a person wants to, although I do, but also because Jesus calls me to do that, to love you, regardless of who you are, regardless of your background. Because, you know, if Jesus cared enough to love a guy like me, who, let me just say, has really sucked before, I think every single person in the in the world, and as we, as we talk tonight, in America deserves to experience that love as well. But um, moving on to our last point here on, on external factors impacting Christianity, I think we can't really talk about external factors unless we talk and tie it into the, the internal mistakes of others in the church, right? There are stereotypes that people have about Christians, and as bad as they might stink, you know, a lot of times stereotypes have at least a kernel of truth at the center of them. Yep. Right. So, you know, people aren't perfect. We know that people are not perfect. I'm not perfect. Alex, are you perfect? Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. But 
you know, Christians, I think, in, in my mind, are held to a higher standard, right? When you take up the standard of Christ, when you proclaim yourself as a Christ follower, I think that you are held to a higher standard. And, you know, as, as you are trusted with more and more in the church, I think that your your expectation, your responsibility also increases, right? As a, as a church leader, I think I'm even more responsible for my actions and my personal accountability than a member of just the congregation. Uh, but, you know, a lot of those church leaders also make mistakes, right? And that leads to a bunch of cultural stereotypes. So... Alex, what are some of those stereotypes that you commonly oh, hear? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm trying to think here. What are some common stereotypes? Of Christians. Of Christians. I guess kind of one thing I've seen a good bit is that people think that Christians are stuck up, thinking that they're better than everybody else. And um, just because of the Christians, and I mean... I guess some people do take a little bit too much pride with it, but at the same time, we're just normal people like everyone else. Yeah, and I, and so. I think, you know, stuck up is a huge one, prideful. Uh, I think a big one is being closed-minded. Yep. Um, being closed off, uh, not living out what we say. That's a huge one that I see a lot, right? We, we've got, and I'm sure every audience member can attest to this, but... You know somebody who claims Christianity, and then on the weekends, what do you see on their Snap story? They're out partying <laughs> yeah. and drinking at the bar, right? And you're like, what the heck, dude? You you call yourself a Christian, you know, Sunday through Thursday, but Friday, Saturday, those are, those are your days. Those are your time to live it up. And it just blows my mind that, you know, we're not willing to live out what we preach to other people. And that's what leads to people thinking of us as hypocrites. And that, overall, I would say is probably the biggest one that I've heard mm-hmm. um, as far as blaming Christians. Especially in college, too. I mean... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yes. Like, was, like people are taking time to actually discover themselves in a new environment. And then you see these so-called Christians. Um, and maybe they're... The, I'm not saying that they're bad or anything, but they just... One person during the week, during the week and then totally different other person on the weekends yeah and, and i think that that you know not living out what we say or the stereotypes associated with christians don't just apply externally i think we do that to ourselves internally as well right as soon as i hear somebody else's denomination what's my first thought is it that this is my fellow brother or sister in christ or is it all of the list of things theologically that they don't agree with me on is it, oh, well, he believes in spiritual gifts, so I don't think that that's somebody I want to hang around. Or, you know, is it somebody who, oh, well, they believe in this or this, so I don't remember the part where Jesus said that, so we're not going to hang around them. And I think we do that to ourselves. So we tear each other apart internally, and we go live our lives externally. And we just live out the hypocrisy of, of what we're talking about. And and that's where the labels come from, I think, a lot of the times. And I don't want our listeners to think that, you know, all Christians are hypocrites. That's, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying that it, it's commonplace, a lot more commonplace than I think it should be. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to really say that you're a Christ follower when you're not willing to live out 
all of the things that 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 comes with you know what i mean yep um and, and then like like i just mentioned you know church conflict internally how many times have you seen on the news alex where it's like well this church in this town is now deciding to separate or even you know the methodist church which just recently decided its division like and, and that's a again a different topic for a different podcast but that was big news Oh, absolutely, and especially with the um, with the Howard Northern being associated with the Methodist Church, I know that was the huge talk lately. Was the discussion of the split, and people were taking sides, and we had we had fighting within the church, and a type of fighting I've never really seen before. Yeah, and and I mean it's sad to see it, especially about topics that in my mind are concrete and not debatable. But this goes back to kind of the point about. You know, standing our ground. There was a side that wanted to stand their ground, and there was a side that wanted to change what they believed. Um, and and what we saw was a conflict in the church. And how does that reflect the church to people that are outside of it? Like, just imagine that. Just, audience, close your eyes and imagine you have never met Christ or you, you've, never, you've never experienced that God-changing moment in your life. And all you're seeing in the news is how a church has ripped itself apart, right? Not just not just a church, an entire denomination. What does that tell you about Christians, right? Are Christians really about love if they're willing to rip themselves in half and, and to start these arguments and to hold national conferences about topics and decide entire fates where people's lives are at risk? Like, this is the kind of, of gravity of the things that we're talking about. And... That's exactly what happens. And then we wonder why people look at the church and they're like, I'm good. I don't need that. We we ask those kinds of questions. So I mean, I guess just in closing, as as we as we close this episode out, Alex, I wanna ask you, what do you think is the uh is the solution here? What what do we do to change? I think um I think we need to go back to the basics. And it's a, um, it's kind of a thing that my, well, my roommates and I have a thing going on between each other is that whenever things get really tough or you're struggling with something, you need to go back to the basics. You need to go back to your foundation, to what you know. And um, I think that's what we need to do here. We need to go back to the Bible, which is the foundation of the church. And um, we need to sit down and just read it again. And I might just, I might be over, oversimplifying it. I might be wrong, but... I think if we just take the time and go back to the Bible, see what's got, see what God's telling us, and see what Jesus is telling us, and we need to reprioritize our focus on that. Yeah, you're you're completely right. I, I think we've we've drifted so far, kind of into our own unique lanes that we lose touch with each other as brothers and sisters, and I think that. You're right. First and foremost, we need to get back to the basics. We need to evaluate, like, are we living out what Jesus called us to do? You know, are are we living our lives according to what he would want? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we spending time reading the word? And then we can go to different things like, hey, am I challenging what I believe or what I've been taught for my whole life or what my denomination thinks? Just for the audience's information, 
that theology book that I'm reading is called Systematic Theology. So sorry, I forgot about that earlier. But um, are, are we challenging what we believe? Are all of the things that we were taught in Sunday school or in our denomination really what we believe? Is that our faith or is that just what we were told? And is it backed up by scripture or is it not? And so I think that you need to identify what your personal convictions are. You know, once you've established that relationship with God, once you you and God are, are working together to get to know each other better, you know, God obviously already knows every single thing about you, but once you're working on that relationship to get to know God better, I think that's when we're able to to start to see different kinds of, of reveals from him. I think that's when we start to get into, you know, discernment. Is this a good message? Is this a wolf in sheep's clothing? Am I called to be a shepherd in this flock? Where do I need to prune myself? How can I address the external issues facing the church? But if we're never being personally accountable in our own walk with Christ, I don't think we have, one, any authority, or, or two, any right to start addressing these kinds of topics. What, what do you think about that, Alex? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You're good. <laughs> yeah, I think um, we just we need to sit back and just have an honest conversation. Why are we having these disputes? And just kind of, I guess, going back to the root of the problem, whatever that problem might be. Right. And, and yes, I definitely think that there are large theology differences that are worth being addressed. But I also think there's a lot of issues in the church that I call, like, the color of the carpet right Mm -hmm. type issues where churches are being broken apart because linda doesn't like the color of the carpet yeah yeah i mean i've seen stuff like that too many times and i guess it's going back to the comfort thing too i mean we're getting so back to being so comfortable in our faith that small menial things are becoming huge problems and we're making we're making mountains out of molehills and right i mean I think we need something to... We need to challenge ourselves. That's what we need. Absolutely. We need to continuously challenge ourselves, make ourselves uncomfortable, and, I mean, just so that we know that we don't end up having fights over, like, the color of the carpet or what kind of music the worship band plays or that sort of thing. Complacency will kill the church. It will. And and I think we've both been able to experience and see that in, in churches today. I think we'll continue to see that until things uh, I- until things are addressed, like you're saying, Alex. Yeah. But but thank you so much for coming on Table Talk. Do you have any closing remarks for us? Nope. No closing remarks. Nice. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, audience, uh, I just want you guys to know that that we love you and that Jesus loves you, and that we can't wait to see you back next week on Table Talk. Thanks for listening. I hope that you feel encouraged and challenged by today's message. And, as always, we can't wait to see you back here next week. (laughs) 